And uh, today, to start our message, I want to ask you, with all of that in mind, what do you think is the most important thing for us to focus on? So as we start the year, what is the most important thing for us uh, to focus on, to put first? What's the most non-negotiable thing? There's lots and lots of things that we could do, uh, but what's the most important thing? And I've obviously been giving this a lot of thought over the last couple of months and the last couple of weeks as we've got started into this year, uh, but there's lots and lots of options. We could think about what we're doing when we gather together on a Sunday. That's super important. So maybe that's the most important thing is that we get this right so that when we're together, we have an amazing experience of being able to connect with Jesus and with each other and uh, everything that goes into that. So maybe what we do here is the most important thing. Or we know that we want to kind of recalibrate and refocus on our gospel groups as we get into this year. I'm going to talk more about that next week. Uh, But our small group ministry is super important to us. Being able to be together with each other is something that's absolutely crucial. And so maybe our gospel groups, investing in them, needs to be the most important thing for us to focus on this year. We have just sent our kids out. We've so, so amazing to have these incredible kids and young people who are part of our church family. And so maybe the most important thing for us to do is to focus on our next-gen stuff, how we're investing in our kids, how we're investing in our youth and helping them to grow up into all that Jesus wants them to be. Or maybe we need to focus the most on reaching out into the community. We know that that's something that we've got a huge heart for as a church, uh, but over the last couple of years, for all sorts of different reasons, a lot of the connections that we've had uh, don't exist as much as they did or at all. So maybe our focus this year needs to be connecting with the community and focusing on that above everything else that we're doing. Some of you, I know, are sitting there saying, but don't we have to find a new building this year? Like, isn't that an important thing that we have to focus on? Like, don't we have to get out of here and go somewhere else? So maybe that's the most important thing for us to focus on. The answer is, yes, all of those things could be the most important thing for us to focus on. All of those things are really, really important for who we are and what we're doing as a church family together. So over the next few weeks, I want us to take some time to explore what we are going to focus on and to say what are the things that we're going to keep coming back to over and over again throughout this year. And so today, I hope it's no surprise that our focus is on putting Jesus first. Because that is the most important thing for us to do. No matter what else we do this year, we need to put Jesus first. And so uh, we're going to unpack that a little bit today in terms of what does it mean for us to genuinely put Jesus first in everything that we're doing. Next week, we're going to talk about the theme of together, because it's really important to recognize that whatever we do this year, it's not about just us as a group of individuals being in the same space. It is about us moving forward together and being in each other's lives. And so what does that look like? What does that mean? We're going to explore that a bit more next week. And then the week after that, we are going to talk about uh, the theme beyond, to recognize that, yes, a part of what Jesus calls us to do together is not just about what we do when we are together here, but what we are doing beyond this, and that we are called to have an impact on the world around us. And so what does that look like? So we're going to unpack that in a few weeks' time. But today, this theme is Jesus first. And so we've already read this passage from John chapter 15, but I hope you've got your Bible open still. Uh, if you have the Bible app on your phone, then our, our teaching notes are on there. So you can go to more down in the bottom right corner, and then events, and then you'll see the outline there. And uh, if you don't want to use that, and you've got a notebook or a journal, I encourage you to do that as well. It is something that we would love to encourage you to focus on this year, because the purpose of what we talk about on a Sunday is for you to take that away. 
and to think more about it and to process that with other people. And I don't know about you, but by the time we get to about one o'clock this afternoon, I can barely remember most of what I said, even when I'm speaking. So when other people are speaking, it's like, what did we talk about? There was something that was really helpful. What was that again? So in the absence of writing that down, chances of remembering are pretty small. So we would encourage you as we go through this year uh, to be putting an emphasis on that and making sure that you're jotting that down in one way or another. Uh, But if the Bible app's helpful, then uh, feel free to use that. So today we want to wrestle with this question, why are we here? What is our purpose as a church? And uh, Jesus gives some very, very clear instructions to his first followers, his disciples, where he says that the role of the church is to make disciples, to make followers of Jesus. That's why the church exists. That's why the church has always existed, is to help people to be equipped and released to be able to follow Jesus. That's our focus and that's our emphasis. And that might seem like a fairly obvious statement. I hope that for many of you it is. It's like, well, duh, obviously. (laughs) But it's actually really, really important for us to consciously tune into that because it's so easy for us to get distracted and to focus on other things and to put other things as the most important things, many of which may be really, really good things, but they're not the most important things. And so there's a phrase that I've used a lot over the last few years in particular, which is the phrase church gravity, that there is this gravitational pull attached to what we do in churches where in the absence of being really, really clear and really focused, we just end up getting pulled into programs in particular. It's just something that's wired into us, that in churches, we love programs. There's this gravity that drags us towards that all the time, and unless we pull hard against it and focus on other things, that's where we end up spending our time. We end up saying, this matters, what we do when we gather together on a Sunday, and so we invest lots of time in that, into the music and the tech and the teaching and what we're doing and all the different components, making sure we've got really great coffee available for people, like all these crucial things that are vital But a gravitational pull means that that can be what we focus on above everything else. Even when we think about small groups, it can be the same thing. We want to resource them well and invest in them well, but it becomes all about the program. Or with kids and youth ministry, that we want to invest in our kids, but it ends up being how do we run a really great kids program or a really great youth program? A lot of churches end up saying, how do we meet the needs of the local community? And so what do we end up doing? We create a program to be able to serve the needs that we see out in the community. And as I said, none of those things are bad things in and of themselves at all. But they can't be our number one focus. Our focus has to be unapologetically on connecting people to Jesus, equipping people to follow Jesus. And so we have to actively pull against that gravitational pull that's there around programs to remind ourselves that we're not here to run programs, We're here to make disciples. That is our focus. But even as we think about what discipleship looks like within churches, there's this huge gravitational pull in the West towards what discipleship often looks like. That discipleship often ends up being focused more on learning and intellectual understanding of things. I don't know whether you've ever had this thought, feeling a bit dry or a bit stale in my walk, and so what needs to happen is that I need to learn some more stuff. If the teaching on a Sunday was just a little bit deeper, then I would grow in my relationship with Jesus. If I could just find the answer to this question, if I could just understand this a little bit better, then I would be able to grow and move forward. 
And again, it's not a bad thing to be passionate about learning and discovering and pursuing things. That's really, really good. But it can't be the most important thing for us to say, we're just here so that we can learn some stuff. And so one really helpful way to understand the original meaning of the word disciple, when we talk about making disciples, that we often translate as follower, is the word apprentice. So when we think about discipleship, it's often helpful for us to think about that through the lens of apprenticeship. And uh, we've talked about this a little bit in some circles over the last couple of months as we've been talking about where we're at and where we're heading. And one very important caveat to put in place at the beginning of our conversation about what apprenticeship looks like is to just check in with what we think when we hear the word apprentice. Because for many of us, we'll go straight to tradies. So we'll immediately think of what are historically male-dominated trades, so builders or electricians or mechanics, those sorts of trades. And while it is very, very encouraging to see that a lot of those fields are opening up more and more to women, there is a certain stigma that's attached to what that looks like. And if we think about discipleship through that lens, it can kind of pull us in a certain direction. And so one of the most helpful pictures that I've had in my head when I think about apprenticeship is to think about a chef. Because a chef is also an apprentice. But I don't know about you, when I think about a chef, I often do think a bit different to a tradie in terms of what that apprenticeship looks like. We can think about other people like master craftspeople in their apprenticeships, so people who work with wood or with pottery or artists or musicians. Often what they do as they're starting out is an apprenticeship as well. And when we think about that, it moves us away from something that's male-dominated, but it also helps us to recognise that there is creativity that's involved in that. There's something about putting ourselves fully into it as we go. So as you hear this word apprentice, I want to make sure that you keep all sorts of different types of apprenticeships in mind. But as I said, the gravitational pull of our Western focus on discipleship ends up being towards a program, once again. So, and I'm very guilty of this in many of the churches that I've been in, we've said we want to do discipleship better. So we sit down and we talk about it. And what do we come up with? We want you to do this four-week course or this six-week course, or this 10-week course, or this 20-week course in one of the churches that I was in. So we've got to work out how we get people to sign up for this course, come along to the course once a week, and we'll give you some reading and stuff to do during the week so that when we come together, we can talk about some stuff, and uh, that's discipleship. And it's not, because discipleship is supposed to be far more like an apprenticeship than just coming along to a course for a few weeks and then graduating at the end of it with your discipleship certificate. When we think about discipleship as an apprenticeship, we think about putting things into practice. When we think about apprenticeships, so much of it is practical. What does it mean for me to apply what it is that I'm learning? Yes, there are concepts that I need to learn. There are principles that I need to learn. They're important, but only so that I can put those things into practice. Not so that I just learn some concepts, but so that straight away I can start using those things. And there's also an understanding with an apprenticeship that you are not going to get it right for quite some time probably. And so you need to give opportunities to be able to learn by failing over and over again. Try this, nope, didn't quite get that right. Try it again, try it again, try it again. And it's only over time that you get better and better at it. And so we use this word practice at Richmond a lot because it's really, really helpful in two ways. First of all, when we say that we're practicing, we recognise that means we don't have it right yet. I'm just practicing. I haven't got that right. I'm practicing. By default, I'm expecting we're going to make some mistakes. 
But we do also understand that a practice is a habit that we do over and over again so that something actually changes and shifts inside of us the more that we do it. There's also a recognition with apprenticeships that as you step into that and as you continue to grow and put more and more into practice, that journey doesn't actually end. So your apprenticeship might end after three years or four years, but in most of those fields that we've talked about, most people would say, I continue to learn all the way through the rest of my life. And so people who would see themselves as a master chef or as a master craftsperson would say, no, I'm still learning. There's still more that I need to put into practice. But also there's this responsibility to now start investing in others and to help them to discover some of the things that I've done, some of the things that I've learned so that they can put those things into practice as well. So all of that bundled together is what we mean when we say these two words, make disciples. When we talk about discipleship, we talk about it as apprenticeship. That's what our focus is that we want to help you to, yes, learn some concepts and some principles, but so that you can put those things into practice in your life, so that you can practice those things over and over again until Jesus allows those things to take root in your life. And so as we begin this year, that's unapologetically where we want to say our focus is going to be. Our role as a church is to equip you and to release you to be able to be apprenticed to Jesus. And so our focus in everything that we do, when we gather on a Sunday, when we gather in groups, what we're doing with kids and youth ministry, what we're doing as we look outside of this space and what we're doing as we connect to the community, unapologetically is about apprenticing people to Jesus. And I even want to challenge us and stretch us to say, as we think about the idea of a new facility, what does it look like for us to find a space that is all about apprenticeships? What does it look like for us to have a facility that enables us to make apprentices of Jesus? Above everything else that we focus on, what's the best space for us to be able to do that? That'll be part of our conversations as we continue to move through this year. One of the things, though, that even as I was putting all of that together, I was thinking, okay, so what that means is that we want to create a whole bunch of resources for you. We want to create a whole bunch of practices that we can share together and encourage you to step into as we move into this year. But even the practices and even the resources that we develop, if we're not careful, can have that same gravitational pull, that it's all about that resource or it's all about that practice and I need to do that. And that's why this passage that we're looking at today is so crucial for us to keep top of mind in everything that we talk about as we focus on what it means to make apprentices. Because we are apprenticed to Jesus. We're not apprenticed to programs. We're not even apprenticed to practices. We're not apprenticed to church. We are apprenticed to Jesus. Our goal at the end of the day is to connect with Jesus. And so he gives us this unbelievably powerful metaphor that is so helpful to think about a branch and a vine. And so I want you to think about that again and to have a look at this picture of a branch and a vine. And I want you to consciously think, where does a branch of a vine receive its nutrients from? Like, how does that happen? How does it actually end up getting the nutrients that it needs to ultimately produce grapes? How does it stay healthy? And specifically, what's required of the branch? What does the branch need to do in order to receive all of those things? Does it have to try? 
Does it have to strive? Does it have to achieve? Does it have to prove itself worthy? I am worthy of these resources coming my way and these nutrients that I need. Does it need to kind of remind the vine, hey, don't forget about me, I'm still here, I need some nutrients? No. If it's connected to the vine, it receives everything that it needs. And if it stops being connected to the vine, then very quickly it dries up. It becomes empty and unable to do what it was created to be able to do. And our relationship with Jesus is exactly the same. Jesus doesn't require anything of us, ask anything of us, demand anything of us, other than to stay connected to him. And in doing so, to trust that he will give us everything that we need. So the message translation of John 15 verses 4 and 5 that we read earlier says this, In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you join with me. I am the vine and you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relationship intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. So that's why all of the things that we do matter. All of the practices that we have, all the opportunities that we have to gather together because they create connection points with Jesus. But the point is connecting with Jesus. What is it that Jesus is saying to us? What is it that Jesus is doing? Where is Jesus at work in us and around us? How are we responding to what it is that Jesus is saying to us so that we can continue to grow and do all of the things that we've been created to do? And so I want to give you an opportunity to just pause and to recognize that you are all already doing many, many things. And so our focus as we start this year up may not actually be about starting something new, but simply saying, how do I recalibrate my focus? And so I want you to just pause and think about this question. What are you already doing that can be recalibrated to focus on connecting with Jesus? So this year may not be for you about starting anything new. It may just be that when you come on a Sunday, you direct your attention to connecting with Jesus. Or that when you're reading scripture, or that when you're praying, or when you gather together with other people, whatever it might be for you, that your attention is on connecting with Jesus. Is there one thing that you can think of? I encourage you to jot that down as an encouragement to say it's not about starting a whole bunch of new stuff, but recognizing you are connected to Jesus 100% of the time. So how do you draw your attention to that? So take a moment, think about what that looks like, jot something down, and then we'll continue. Now, in this passage, Jesus also reminds us that staying connected to him can sometimes mean that pruning needs to happen in our lives. He says in verses 1 and 2, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. 
Now, it probably doesn't come as a surprise to you that we don't have a vineyard in our backyard at home, so we don't quite have the space for that, but we do grow tomatoes, and uh, I'm pleased to say that uh, our tomatoes have been very fruitful this year, and so we have some tomatoes out in the cafe space that you can feel free to grab and take some home today, because we've actually got far too many than we're ever going to use. So there are some there. You can sample our uh, glorious wares. So we do have tomato plants. We also have roses as well, and I remember when I was first starting to get into gardening, and I'm still still very much getting into gardening, so some of you are far better at this than I am. But I remember being told that in order for our roses in particular to grow and to be healthy every year, and sometimes twice a year, I needed to cut them back to almost nothing. And I remember the first time that I pruned them, I like pruned them to this size. So, and I was told, no, no, keep going all the way back. And I just could not believe it. I'm doing this. I'm like, this is a terrible decision. These are just going to die. I'm cutting off all of this good stuff that's going to end up just killing the rose altogether. So, but I have learned as I do that, that actually it works. You cut them back. When they grow back, they produce all these amazing flowers. And the same with our tomato plants. I've realized that if I don't keep pruning them back, then they just grow and grow. And so there are a few times when I have either forgotten or just neglected to prune our roses or our tomatoes in particular, and they have continued to grow but haven't really produced anything more. Last year, with our tomatoes, I did neglect them for a number of weeks, and our tomato plant took over the whole garden bed that it was in and the whole one that was next to it. It was spread out so far that we had to put more stakes in the next one as well, but it didn't actually produce that many more tomatoes. It just grew and grew and grew, but wasn't actually as healthy as it could have been. And so that's a really, really helpful thing for us to understand about the pruning that Jesus is talking about that needs to happen in our lives. Often when we think about pruning, we think about bad things that are in our lives and we need to cut those things out. And some of that is true. The dead branches need to be cut off because they're not doing anything helpful and so we need to get rid of them. But pruning is actually far more about pruning healthy things off so that more fruit can be produced. And so for us, as we step into this year, it may not be about I've got all these bad things in my life and I need to cut a whole bunch of things out. It may be about there are some good things that I'm doing that actually need to be cut back so that more fruit can be produced. There's a phrase that I have often used for many, many years, uh, became known for in one of the churches that I was in, which is sometimes we need to say no to good things so that we can say yes to what is best. Sometimes we need to say no to good things so that we can say yes to what is best. We want to stop and actually say, where is God, the master gardener, trying to do some pruning of things that may even be good things in our lives? Well, we need to say no to those things so that we can allow God to do what he wants to do in us, which are the best things that he wants to be able to produce. All of us have finite resources, whether that's our time, whether that's our money, whether that's our relational bandwidth, all of us have a finite amount of those things. And so sometimes we need to say no to good things in those areas so that we can say yes to the best things. So I want to give us an opportunity to reflect on this as well. As we begin this year, is there one area of your life where you sense that maybe God wants to do a bit of pruning? And again, it may be something that is a dry part of your life that you know needs to be cut out and you know has been there for a while. But for many of us, I think it could actually be about a good thing that just needs to be cut back 
And we need to say no so that God can produce more fruit. It may be about the way that we use our time. It may be about the way that we use our finances. It may be about the way that we connect with other people. But it may even just be about the way in which we use the flow of our time. So something that needs to be cut out in my mornings so that I can have more of an opportunity to connect with Jesus. Or something that needs to be cut out of my lunchtime so I can connect with Jesus. Or in the evenings. Or the way that I use the flow of the week and what happens at different times. So I want to, again, pause and give you an opportunity. What's one thing as we begin this year where you sense that God might want to do a little bit of pruning in your life? What's just one thing that you would name? And what's a commitment that you can make towards that as we move into this week and as this year really cranks up? There's one last fascinating insight that I want to touch on today that Jesus' metaphor gives us, and that's this. Where does the branch stop and the vine begin? Or the other way around. Where does the vine stop and the branch begin? Jesus says these staggering words. In verse 4, Jesus says, Live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. And then in verses 9 and 10, Jesus says, I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. So make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done. I've kept my father's commands and made myself at home in his love. It's somewhat complicated what Jesus is saying here because lots are like this and that and all over the place. When we stop and think about it, it is mind-blowing. Jesus is saying that he wants us to live in him. Other translations say to remain in him or to abide in him or to set up home in him. That in some ways is staggering enough. But Jesus says he wants us to do that in him just as he lives, abides, sets up shop, remains in us. If that's not staggering enough, then he says that we are loved the way that the Father loves Jesus. Jesus loves you the way that the Father loves Jesus. And we can make ourselves at home in Jesus' love the way that Jesus has made himself at home in the Father's love. (laughs) That is staggering when you stop and think about it. Again, it's like this image of the vine and the branches. And where does one begin and where does one end? It's all intertwined. We're wrapped up in Jesus, and Jesus is wrapped up in us. We're wrapped up in God the same way as Jesus is wrapped up in God. It's this beautiful picture of a vine and a branches in terms of what it means for us to set ourselves up at home in Jesus. Jesus is inviting us to make ourselves at home in him. Kick your shoes off. Breathe. Be, 
live. But also, the implication here is that we are connected with each other, and that's all intertwined as well. Because again, if you look at that, where does one branch start and another one end? Where does one branch connect into the vine and a different branch connect into the vine? We are connected to each other just as much as we are connected into Jesus. And the nutrients of Jesus flow through us to each other as well. So this idea of togetherness is crucially important, which is why we're going to come back to it next week. But Jesus finishes with these verses, uh, with this, these words in verse 11. He says, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Jesus doesn't tell us all of these things to make us feel guilty. Jesus doesn't tell us all of these things so that we've got more things to add to our to-do list. Jesus doesn't tell us all these things so that we feel like we've got more that we have to try and achieve. Jesus tells us his whole purpose in giving us this metaphor of a vine and branches is so that we can experience his joy in all of its fullness. Not just filled with joy, but overflowing so that his joy actually spills out of us. We often talk about the word gospel, understanding that that means good news. And it actually means great, amazing, incredible news that something has changed that affects everyone. It's far more than just like good news. It's really, really amazing news. And so today's good news, today's great news, today's amazing, incredible news as we start this year is that Jesus wants us to stay connected to him so that we can have everything that we need to be able to grow and flourish. We're going to move into communion in a moment as a way of being able to experience that and being able to celebrate what we've been talking about. But before we do that, I want to just pause and be able to pray for us as we move into this year, that we can keep this as our primary focus throughout this year. As I said, there's so much gravitational pull that's going to tempt us to be dragged and focus on all sorts of other things. All of those things are really important for us to do, but only so that we can connect with Jesus, only so that we can be apprenticed to Jesus. And so I want to pray that we can have a sense of expectation and excitement about what that looks like as we move into this year, and then we'll move into communion. So let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful that you share pictures like this with us that help us to understand what it is that you came to do for us. This beautiful, amazing, powerful picture of a vine and a branch that you don't expect anything of us, you don't demand anything of us. You simply ask us to stay connected to you and in doing so to recognize that we will receive everything that we need to be able to grow and produce the fruit that you want to produce in our lives. We're sorry that so often in churches we end up getting focused on other things, not that those things are bad things, but just that they end up being all of our attention focused on those instead of focusing on you. And we pray that you would, as we start this year, help us to have an unapologetic focus on prioritizing what it means to see you, to connect with you, to spend time with you and to receive from you with all of the different things that we do. But we recognize that that is a journey 
That it's not something that we just suddenly get and then it's all fixed and everything's fine, but it is more like the journey of an apprentice where we just start by learning. We put some things into practice, we try and we try and often and we fail and we take two steps forward and three steps backwards, but you're with us in that journey. And so we pray that you would help us to commit to that individually and collectively this year, that we would be a church family that is known for what it means to connect to you and equipping and cheering each other on in our journeys with you to continue to allow you to do all that you want to do in us and through us. You are King Jesus. You are the leader and the Lord of our church. And so as we begin this year, our desire is to make that the number one thing that we focus on in everything that comes our way. In your name we pray. Amen.